lights. It's seven Friday night. Welcome to another edition of Seven Friday Night. It's Championship Week. It's also Thanksgiving Week. It's all happening here on your favorite NorCal high school football pod. I'm Chase Bryson, the managing editor of Sports Stars Magazine. I'm joined by my co-host Ben Enos, who sounded like a kid on Christmas morning when we spoke after our games last Friday. Turned out that I didn't end up at the game of the at the game of the millennium. He did. And of course, while you were enjoying the instant classic between Rancho Cotati Runner Park and Camp Luna Moraga, I was triple tasking at the North Coast Section Open Championship game between De La Salle and Pittsburgh. It turns out the prophecies of last week were true. I was Coach Terry Edson's lifeline to the game from his hotel in Baltimore. There were many texts. Many, many texts. Ben, welcome to the show. Hello, good people. So yes, uh, Chase called me as we were driving home from our respective games on Friday night and declared that it was actually me, not him, who attended the game of the millennium. And I got to tell you, I'm not arguing the point. We'll get back into that in a little bit. But first, can I ask what the level of text anguish was between you <laughs> and Coach Edson on Friday night? Like, what was the tenor of this text exchange? It was a bit of a roller coaster. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> there were some, definitely some ups and downs, and uh, especially since I was giving him injury updates as well. So there was... Uh, when when Cooper Flanagan left the game and, and Derek Thompson left the game late, uh, there was a lot of anguish related texts there as also. But uh, yeah, we'll get to that more when when he comes on. When I think of anguish, I think of uh, I think of Coach Edson for sure. But um, you know, there's no place better to start. Let's break this thing down. I think last week we had this game pretty dialed when we talked about it, and ended up thirty to twenty three, De La Salle over Pittsburgh. Uh, in so doing, the Spartans picked up their 30th 3-0 straight North Coast section title. So tell us all about it. What do we need to know about a chilly night in Dublin, California? <laughs> all right. Well, before we get uh, truly rolling, uh, I do want to drop a quick programming note. First, because of the holiday, we'll be releasing our picks show a day earlier. That will drop this Wednesday afternoon. If you want to wait and listen on Thursday to maintain your weekly routine, that's your prerogative, and we won't claim to judge. You know who else I won't be judging? Anyone out there who thought Pittsburgh had a legitimate chance of winning last week. I honestly think Pittsburgh had a relatively strong outing overall. The two interceptions was basically the difference. But I thought the Pirates stood toe-to-toe with De La Salle, um, even though the Spartans had clear advantages up front. I, I was pretty impressed. Um, De La Salle didn't quite look as on point as they did against Clayton Valley three weeks ago, but they were still plenty good. Chase Tofiano was as effective as advertised on the defensive line. Also props to sophomore quarterback Toa Faave, who's been really good with the football in recent starts. So I don't know. I, it was, uh, it was definitely, we'll, we'll get more into this, I think with coach Edson. Um, but I thought it was, it was probably the closest I mean, it was, in fact, the closest De La Salle-Pittsburgh game that we've seen since Pittsburgh won in 91. It was the first time that De La Salle has won by single digits in the, in during their 30-game uh, North Coast Section Championship streak. So it was a good game. It just wasn't as good as your game. Um, but I think we had, all this, we had all of the key points nailed down last week. We knew what we were going to see 
And I thought Pittsburgh played fairly well. If they could have just eliminated those two turnovers, uh, it might have been even closer. So certainly bodes well for Pittsburgh as they go up against Clayton Valley this week. Way to stick the landing on Toa's last name there. That was good. <laughs> All right. I'm glad yeah. I did. Yeah. So like I said, we'll talk more about that when Coach Edson drops by a little bit later. But everyone wants to hear more about your barn burner on the Bay Area's coldest hill. So let's go. That's right. And it's a hill I might die on. Uh, I mean, I'm not. A, I'm going to try not to talk for 30 minutes here, but I do have a lot to say. I texted you Saturday morning that I was still buzzing from this game. So for those who might be living under a rock, uh, it was a 42-41 to 41 win for Campolindo over Rancho Cotati in the NCS D2 semifinals. And the game was as good as the score makes it sound. I remember turning to a couple people on the Rancho sideline in the third quarter and just saying, you know what, this is, it doesn't matter who wins, at least to me, it did to the guys on the Rancho sideline. This is incredibly high caliber football. You see 42 to 41 and you assume there was no defense being played, but I'll actually push back on that. I thought both, both defenses played hard, but the offenses were just executing at an incredibly high level. The game came down to a two-point conversion at the end with Rancho looking to take the lead with 27 seconds left. Gehrig Hotaling drew up a play that had friend of the pod, Silasa Vajrawale, motioning out of the backfield and coming over the middle. But when Jacob Pruitt threw the pass, Campo had run a blitz up the middle and Charlie Murren got a hand on the ball to knock it down and keep Campo in the lead. Murren was actually a key figure late in the game because he had the other biggest play of the night as well. Late in the third quarter, it looked like Rancho had the game's first turnover with an interception around its own 10-yard line. But before they could get down with the ball, Murren stripped it. The Campo recovered to regain possession. That was one of those plays where you turn to the guy next to you and go, did that really just happen? <laughs> uh, you know, I loved Hotelling's quote after the game. And I've, I've sang the praises of Rancho all year because I like what that program stands for. But he told Joseph Dykus of the East Bay Times, look, we ran a play for one of the best players in program history, and it got knocked down. Like, sometimes it's really just that simple. So, you know, there there are so many directions I could go with this game. Dashell Weaver, the, the dash, putting the dash in the dash and mash, <laughs> accounted for six touchdowns on the night. And I am supremely comfortable saying he's the best quarterback I've seen with my own eyes this year. Jacob Pruitt is a tremendous talent at quarterback for Rancho, and he'll be back next year. So don't expect those Cougs to go away anytime soon. Sai Vajrawale is maybe the best two-way player I've seen in person this year. He's going to look great in blue and gold <laughs> next year. I can also confirm that he ate the number 17 sandwich on Friday <laughs> before coming to Moraga. So, you know, the things that people need to know. And like, Oh, yeah. Can we talk about the fact that Campo actually had a kid apparently break a wrist in pregame warmups? Like, is Kevin Macy now actively creating the underdog storyline? <laughs> is this an active thing? It was. <laughs> there are so many things to talk about from Friday night's game. It's just an unreal night of high school football that I just I won't forget anytime soon. It was crazy. Like I said, if I give you everything from this game, we could be here all day. So let's do a quick recap of other big results. There were other big games uh, last week. What stands out to you from a, a crazy night of high school football? 
Well, you were supposed to give me yours first, so that oh, I... <laughs> there you go. <laughs> That's what the script said. Uh, well, the script <laughs> says that I want to mention the Mighty Mini Monarchs in CCS D1 for their big win over St. Francis. But I actually, I'm going to go back to where we were at the beginning of the year, which is talking about the Oak Ridge defense. Casey Taylor's boys are in the SJS D1 final, thanks to a 24-0 win over Turlock. And Turlock, remember, scored 51 the week before against St. Mary Stockton. So they went from 51 to zero. Like, <laughs> come on, how does that happen? That happens because Oak Ridge is really good. Uh, Oak Ridge gets Folsom again in the D1 final, proudly presented by the Sierra Foothill League. <laughs> yeah, some of those stood out to me um, as well. But I'd also throw in there, um, I certainly feel the need to credit St. Ignatius for his yeah. win over Aptos, even though it cost me another game in our pick standings. We certainly threw a little bit of shade at the computer for making the Wildcats a two seed, but it gets the last beep boop on that one. In the Sac Joaquin section... Manteca was on the ropes before it rallied to beat Rockland 34-28, and which, which sounded like a really good game. We could shout some small schools out too, right? How about Justin Sienna of Napa shutting out Salesian 15 to nothing in the NCS Division Six final? That was a good win uh, for uh, for the Braves. And then uh, Pinole Valley also got a big win over undefeated St. Mary's of Berkeley. Uh, and that was, uh, they got a chance to win their first session title since 79. So it's pretty good. Shout out Coach McConico. Shout out Pinole Valley Principal Kibby Kleiman, friend of the <laughs> podcast, who will undoubtedly be at that championship game documenting it for the annals of history. Yep. Okay, so as I said up at the top, it is championship week, and we got some really intriguing matchups. I'm going to throw you a quick fill the gap to get us talking about some of them. Stipulating that there are no time-traveling DeLoreans to transport you back one week to watch Campolindo Rancho all over again. The game you'd pay the most amount of money to watch this week is blank. All right. The game I would pay the most amount of money to watch is a game I actually won't be at. And I appreciate your comment about the DeLorean, but I don't need a DeLorean. It is Camp Lindo against San Ramon Valley in the NCSD2 final. I could see it playing out exactly like the Campo Rancho game in that whoever makes that one big defensive play probably comes out the winner. And let's be clear for a moment. I think San Ramon actually may come into this game the favorite. No shock. They're the number one seed because of how the NCS brackets shook out. And I'm not making excuses, but whichever team got to escape playing that 2-3 matchup was always going to have a bit of an edge in the final because the other team had to work crazy hard in the semi. So I think SRV has a huge shot in this one, but I expect it to be entertaining as all heck. And if I had to spend my hard-earned cash, that's where I would go. Fair. So Can't where would that. you go with your dimes <sighs> and nickels? <laughs> um, I mean, I think that'd be the, uh, that might be the one just because of how good that Campo Rancho game was. And you got to think that Ceremon's going to bring the same amount um a firepower to the game and uh, can't match it it'd be it'd be another amazing game um escalon sonora i think oh, could be yeah. an absolutely great game and i'm sure it's going to be a great atmosphere I, I just you get those small schools that have big traditions of winning in big games i think that's going to be rocking it's going to be a really good game i agree that's a good one 
Well, that actually, Stu, you could have used that for the fill the gap that I'm going to give you. Let's dive a little deeper here, and I will ask you, the most under-the-radar championship game this week is blank. All right, so the most under-the-radar championship game this week, hands down, in my opinion, is 10-2 Windsor against 12-0 El Cerrito for the NCS Division Three crown. An undefeated team that hasn't given up more than 13 points to a team all season and has 198 points of its own in the last four games combined really should be getting more press. But we see you, El Cerrito. And I think Windsor is a perfect matchup for the Gauchos, too. Whoever ends up at this game, enjoy it. I think it goes down the wire. I think it could be a really good game. I think El Cerrito is probably one of the least talked about 12-0 teams around right now. It's funny. We've been talking about where we're going to end up this weekend. I recall the last time I was at Benicia was actually for Benicia Windsor last year uh, where I saw Hayden Anderson for the first time as a freshman. Hayden Anderson back, of course, for Windsor this year with his brother in tow. Uh, yeah, that's going to be no no arguments for me here. That's that's a quality matchup. Um I actually came armed with two options here. Uh, The first one for me is Bellarmine St. Ignatius in the CCSD2 final. Bellarmine is who we thought they were at the beginning of the year, and I'm happy for those guys because they've weathered injuries, WCL, and a whole lot. Uh, We were both complimentary of Coach Edson last week when he predicted Bellarmine's win over Wilcox, and he got that one right. Meanwhile, I bagged on St. Ignatius for getting the two seed with a four and six record, but remember... Wilcox coach Paul Rosa told us last week that if you were really going off of which teams are best, that was an accurate seeding, most likely. So it's a league game, which is always kind of a yawn to me, but it's a good game nonetheless. So I wanted to uh, spotlight that. The second one I've got for you real quick is, I mean, Manteca at Granite Bay. Talk about immovable objects on the ground. You got Thor coming in hot for the Mustangs, and you got like... 16 running backs for granite bay ready to counter <laughs> on the other side so um yeah that's Mantica got that win over a sfl team last week and beating rockland and rockland beat granite bay this year so uh i i do think though granite bay is scalding hot right now at the right time so yeah that's gonna be a good one could be a quick one too <laughs> yeah not a lot sure. of passing yeah well, let's uh let's move this episode along and bring on our favorite former coach, current consultant and long distance texting partner. He wasn't there, but De La Salle picked up its 30th consecutive North Coast section title with a 30 to 23 win over Pittsburgh. We'll talk a little bit about that result, what lies ahead for the Spartans, and plenty more. Let's listen in. And now we're gonna take a quick timeout for a quick message from Sports Stars Magazine's podcast partner the California Army National Guard. At some point, your community will be challenged. It could be a flood, forest fire, hurricane, or civil unrest. When it happens, be the one to answer the call. Rescue the stranded. Protect the threatened. Save the injured. Join the National Guard and serve your community when it needs you most. Visit nationalguard.com to find out more. We welcome Coach Terry Edson back from the East Coast, and since he's now officially an award winner, which makes our show award-winning, we should probably just introduce him every week as award-winning Terry Edson. 
Terry, how was your trip, and did you get the chance to feast on some of that great Maryland blue crab? Oh, I found a place. I think it was called Alexander's Tavern. They had crab tater tots. Oh, you never had anything as good as that in your entire life. It wasn't tater tots filled with crab. It was tater tots with crab on top. Unbelievable. I asked the guy, or waiter, I go, does anybody else do this? He goes, no, we're the only place in town. That does Smart this. waiter. It was incredible. Smart waiter. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, they were known for their tater tots, though. They had all sorts of tater tots, but I took the crab tater tots. And uh, that was awesome. And um, took a picture of Babe Ruth statue at Camden Yards. Saw Edgar Allan Poe's grave. And um, the best part probably been, not the best part, but one of the highlights was Saturday, my wife had to do some work. She surprised with my daughters, which was the best part. They came in. My daughter just gotten off her cruise ship. She'd been in the United States like about eight hours and took Amtrak over to Baltimore. And my other daughter from Dallas came. But Saturday, my daughter had to dance that night. So she was out and my daughter was exhausted. My wife had to do some work. So I thought that'd be a good time to take an Uber to Laurel Park. There and it is. I knew was, this where this is going. That was a great experience. Listening to the voice of Dave, Dave Rodman and just walking around Laurel Park is great. What a weekend. Oh, it was quite a weekend. Yes, it was. Glad to be back where it's somewhat warm out. You don't know what 35, 30 degrees feels like until you're actually walking in it all the time. Yes. Okay. <laughs> all right. So there's a point in the fourth quarter on Friday night. It's past midnight on the East Coast, and I'm starting to feel bad for Coach Edson. I sent a text noting that one more De La Salle first down, this win will be sealed, and Coach can go to bed. He responds, oh, I am in bed watching Seinfeld. At which point, I get an image of Terry propped up in bed watching Seinfeld and eating from a Ben & Jerry's pint, waiting for my text to just roll in and inform him about all things De La Salle. Am I that far off, Coach? Well, Chase, I'm in a hotel room. So how much furniture do you think I have? <laughs> I'm just curious. You know, I didn't get a suite, dude. All right. So uh, I was not eating Ben and Jerry's. I was watching Seinfeld in on my phone. And yes, and my wife was sound asleep. So I kept it low. And when you kept my phone on silent so I could text without her uh, hearing it. Yes. <laughs> But I, I don't know. I mean, I guess I could have been on the chair sitting down by the desk I had, which is my other piece of furniture I had. I, I don't know where. Where do you guys go stay, for goodness sakes? I... Yeah. All right. Well, I know a lot of people on the sideline got a kick out of the fact that I was your lifeline. So, <laughs> yeah, that was very, I appreciate that. That was the only way I could uh, keep abreast. And when you told me we fumbled the three minutes to go, I almost jumped out the window. So that was about it. I just couldn't believe that another fumbled snap, Ben. <laughs> it's, it's Josh Allen all over again. Oh my goodness. We'll talk about that later in dumb football, about what we knew about situational football. Well, I know that you've watched the game back via huddle. What were your thoughts and what sort of feedback did you get from Coach Alaba and Coach Galley on the game? 
Well, I actually have not talked to Coach Galley about the game yet. Um, I'm sure I will because I was he was doing all our fantasy work because I was on a plane coming back home, uh, and it was too early in the morning for him. But um, I, I felt, you know, I told you that, I mean, that the guys that had to play and uh, two of them got injured. Of course, Derek got hurt late in the game, so – um, he was there for, you know, for three and a half quarters, which I'll plan again. I felt that that hurt, you know, but I think Chase, you know, made up for Chase Tofiano. I t- our, whole, our defense is just completely different with him as a D lineman. He just causes he's such a disruption. He opens up uh, if they're going to double him, which they're going to they do. Then it opens up singles on on guys for on pass rush. And I, I felt we accomplished the game plan. Number one was um, that we allowed no explosion plays, and that's the best way to play Pittsburgh, make them drive it down the field. Um, You know, Rashada got some yards running, but I I don't know, you know, there's only one way to really to stop a running quarterback. You have to have an airtight secondary, and you need another great athlete to spy. And I don't know about most high schools, but we don't have that kind of depth. And I don't know if anybody has that kind of depth. That's why Justin Fields runs wild. That's why Lamar Jackson runs wild. That's why Patrick Mahomes, when he needs to run, run. I mean, it's almost impossible to play pass defense and and stop a running quarterback. It's so difficult. So he's going to get some yards. So I, I thought he did a good job with that. But we limited, you know, his arm, which is what, we wanted to do in, in those receivers and they got some yards on the run, but remember I said, we got to limit the running game. I thought we did a pretty good job of that. Um, special teams wise, they got no explosion plays. Um, we got a, you know, so I thought we did, we did okay on special teams and we not only did, we did okay. I mean, we set a school record. There's no way we've ever kicked three field goals. In, a in half. one half. I don't yeah. know if you've ever kicked three field goals in a game. I'd have to go <laughs> look it up. You but, would be the expert on that. Yeah, I, I just don't, I don't ever remember seeing us kick three field goals. But the bottom line is what I thought Justin did was extremely smart. He took the points when, you know, when, when it was there to, to get them. So, uh, and it, like I said, you know, I thought that was played like a championship game, right? No, we keep talking about you know, these pros keep going for it on fourth down when they don't kick field goals and all that. Then all of a sudden I said, they get in the playoffs and they start kicking field goals. Right. right. And uh, that's what this, that's what Justin was smart at. He realized, you know, this is a must win situation and, you know, take the points when you got a chance to take the points. So I thought he did a really good job with that. And, um, you know, it would have been a two score game. We, we should not have, you just should not fumble snaps. I, I mean, you know, I can understand Pee Wee Pop Warner, but by the time you get in high school, you should be, you know, you should be getting snaps in the center. And when you got three minutes to go in the game and you just want to hold on to the ball, I mean, that's step one, get the snap. So that was, we kind of made a mistake there and let him back in and gave him a chance when in reality we could have sealed the game there and then. But outside of that, you know, when you got two uh, athletic teams, two hard hitting teams, there's not going to be a ton of offense and, um, you saw, uh, I thought, you know, a pretty considering when you're playing against two good teams like that, it's going to be some lulls, but I thought it was a pretty well-played game by both teams and, um, we managed to squeak it out. 
So big game prep is not done for the Spartans. And I'm curious, you've had to deal with this, uh, uh, these gaps in late season schedules before. What does the coaching plan become now? I mean, the Spartans get a week off. Uh, they're likely either going to see Folsom or Oak Ridge next. I'm guessing maybe Coach Allenbaugh and the staff gets a car trip up to the Sacramento area on Friday night. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I, the question, I guess, I, is that for you, you guys think that's for sure that we're going to be playing them? Let's say Folsom wins and Sarah loses to Mitty, then – it's it could be different, it could be, but it could be right. Mitty, or it could be. I mean, I I haven't. Is, looked there, at is the, there is there anything down in the central? Se- I mean, yeah, that's what I was going to say. I haven't looked at the central section teams, and I mean they've they've moved them up before. Um, but I I can't imagine that they would that it wouldn't be Folsom, and it, uh, I'd have to look at right. The I, Sarah's got Sarah wins are going the open. That's for sure. Yeah. I'm just wondering, do we get that game for sure? I'm just curious. Last yeah. year, I remember the. Uh, I mean, Folsom I, gets the game if they win. That's obvious, right? right. I was in uh, Pirate Stadium last year when Pittsburgh beat Clayton Valley and qualified for a NorCal game, and they were asking the same questions that you are: Who's coming from the central section? Are we going to have uh-huh. to go there? So, yeah, that that's a question yet to be answered. Yeah. So uh, there's no this. Uh, I would say you know the. This is a week, really. I think what you you know you can prepare early. I mean, you're <laughs> we've done this before too, and it's backfire. You know, you're gonna they're gonna prepare for Folsom. They're gonna assume because Folsom beat Oak Ridge 42-13 one time they played. They're gonna prepare for Folsom, and if Oak Ridge pulls the upset, there goes the week of that preparation. But the other thing is, this is a good time. And, you know, this is, you know, when you get in the game and, you you know, and um, you have Flanagan goes out, Thompson goes out. This is a good time to give your backups a lot of prep. This was a, a perfect time to because next week your starters are going to get most of the prep. There's just you only have limited time. And so you don't have a chance to give everybody reps. So this is a good week to get their reps, prepare and get everybody repped in. So if something does happen during the game and, and guys get hurt, you've got guys prepared. So that's that's what you do this week. I think you're, you're probably, you know, I'm, I'm if it's me, I'm resting Charles Greer. I'm resting some of the starters. You know, I'm Chase is just coming off, you know, that foot. So I'm probably resting him this week. Um Obviously, Flanagan and Thompson, you know, are, are not going to be practicing this week. So it's good to get their reps in. And it's good to get everybody flowing in and, and to know because if that something goes south uh, next week, you know, during the game, you got guys prepared and ready to go. That's the most important thing. So that's how you look at this bye week. Um, usually, like I said, kids, you know, bye weeks don't really work in your favor, but this is a good chance. Because during the season, you know, you got your first team in and you're working them. This is a good chance really to get everybody reps and get them ready for the game. And if you have any special defenses, trick plays, anything like that, this is a week you can start putting them in and then um, refine them next week. So so Friday's win was the, was the Spartans' 30th section championship in a row. And I'm, I'm curious, we're both curious, actually. This was actually Ben's question that he, he suggested, but – uh, do you feel that winning an NCS title has somehow lost a little bit of luster within the program, having won so many in a row, and then now the State Bulls kind of being De La Salle's ultimate destination when it comes to uh, 
the end of the season? How do how does how is the section championship kind of viewed? Does it still feel special? Well, that, that's a really a great question, and I can tell you that once they started state in two thousand and six, um, winning section was important, but there's no doubt the focus was always you know going to state and. That was along the way, I think, which is sad, really, because, you know, I mean, not sad, but it's too bad that, you know, the kids can't appreciate an accomplishment like that. I know our athletic director, Leo Lopos, always said, like, you know, you still we won, say, section championship. That's still a big deal. He, he was always like, we can't just act like it's not a big thing um, this year, which which I think is nice. You know, this year, I think it does mean something for the kids because they had such a rough start, you know, they're hearing it from everybody and what's wrong. You know, I'm sure the question that every kid heard more than 50 times this year is what's wrong with the team and what's going on. So I, I was glad, I think this is, I think which way it should be anyway, that it is an accomplishment to win a section championship. And I think our kids got to really enjoy that this year because when they were three and three, I think that was the furthest from their mind. So this one did have a little extra special meaning considering the rocky road that we've had. But I will say in the past, that was like, it has not been the focus of the teams like going there undefeated and thinking about state and stuff like that, which is too bad because it is an accomplishment. Well, finally, coaches, it's Thanksgiving week. Last year at this time, we talked about our favorite sides. This year, let's talk about another indispensable Thanksgiving element, football. Do the Edson ladies allow the family room TV to have football on during the holiday? <laughs> uh, lucky for me, everyone. Yeah, for uh, uh, <laughs> he's he's trying to find the political answer here. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's allowed for a little bit, but after a while, I get that. All right, that's enough football. So. Uh, you know, I still have my computer and I, I have cable off that. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I think that's the, the the compromise. Yeah. But, you know, in the mornings, every uh, my daughter, she's visiting from New York and bringing a friend and they're coming in. I'm actually picking her up tonight um, after bowling, of course, uh, not until then. But uh, she'll probably be sleeping in a little bit. My wife will be getting things. This is her... Uh, this is her big cooking day, Thanksgiving for her. And uh, for so for a while, I'll get the nine o'clock game in, I'm pretty sure. But um, when uh, her sister starts arriving and other guests, uh, I'm sure that'll be the end of football for me. That, that's fair. I get to watch it all the time. So <laughs> I can make sacrifice on Thanksgiving to uh, not have it on. Uh, for was, is there, Are there three games again this year? Uh, again, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yep. Yeah, I'm not watching three games. Right <laughs> As we found out last Friday, you could you should just feel free to text Chase the entire day and find <laughs> out what happens. Well, we'll uh, we'll be back tomorrow. As a matter of fact, um, on our abridged recording and publishing schedule to talk uh, picks for this week, championship week picks, and a little bit of uh, dumb football. So, oh, looking yeah, forward to that for sure. Thank you. Okay. All right. We'll see you tomorrow. Another fine visit from Seven Friday Night's resident consultant and life coach. Now we come to the part of the show that always carries plenty of intrigue. Chase, it, uh, according to the officials, I have won the coin toss and I would like to defer.
<laughs> so you can do the read, and I will prepare to defend. Well, we'd like to thank Coach Edson once again for being part of our crew and making another stop this week. We build seven Friday night using Anchor, but the show is available on several platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Pocket Casts, and Radio Public. If you listen to shows on one of those platforms, search for Seven Friday Night and please rate and subscribe. Each of our episodes also get their own dedicated page on Sports Stars Magazine's web home, sportsstarsmag.com. You can stream the episode there, find links to the various other platforms, and check out a variety of bonus items that we tend to include. Also, follow the show on Twitter at, at @sportsstarspods, and you should also be following Sports Stars Magazine at, at @sportsstarsmag. That's where you'll get all the latest updates on upcoming guests and more. Our cover art features photography and design by yours truly. And our theme music was performed and produced by Dustin Phillips. And that will wrap us up. Uh, we will be back for picks tomorrow, as we said at the top of the show. Uh, before we get to that, hit us with some final thoughts, Ben. Final thoughts. Well, it is Thanksgiving week, as you've pointed out. And in the spirit of the season and on the heels of one of the best high school football games I've seen in many years, I'm giving thanks. Thanks to all the players that we've gotten a chance to see this year, the coaches who've welcomed us onto their sidelines, the podcast listeners who have helped grow our audience this year, odds makers take a beating, <laughs> and anyone else who makes high school football what it is. I know different people get into following high school football for different reasons. Some say it's to highlight the kids. Some say it's the purest form of the sport. Some are really into a good high school snack bar. But in the aftermath of Friday's win over Rancho Katati, I asked Hampelindo quarterback Dashiell Weaver what his team's mantra, one more week, really meant to him. And I want to read the quote he gave because I really feel like it describes perfectly why the stuff we talk about every week matters at all. So he said, we don't push for one more week so we can go win another game or win NCS. That's a plus, no doubt. But the main idea is one more week of practice, one more week of hanging out with your friends, one more week of making memories with these guys. High school football, especially at Camp Alindo, is special, and I couldn't be luckier than to be part of this program. That's really what one more week means. So we have more than one week of games and podcasts left between the two of us, so really, we're the lucky ones. Enjoy championship week, everyone. I'm not going to add anything to that. You and Dash handled that one well. Let's yeah. close it out. We will see you guys tomorrow for picks. If you don't end up uh, listening to picks before uh, before Thursday, um, we'll give you a happy Thanksgiving now. Otherwise, you'll get another happy Thanksgiving from us tomorrow. Enjoy, the, uh, enjoy your holiday, fans, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Turkey, stuffing, and a side of cougars.